Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Hello, hello out there. My guests this morning are performing at the Pamet Performing Arts Center. Fantastic Negrito will be performing there August 11th, and this weekend Tom Rush will be performing there on the 25th. Fantastic Negrito is a three time Grammy Award winning singer, songwriter, musician. His three most recent albums are Grandfather Courage, White Jesus, Black Problems and have you lost your mind yet? Welcome, Fantastic Negrito. Could you talk about your relationship with Roots Music and your ancestors and this album as well as Grandfather Courage? Well, I think with um, the way I approach any music is that uh, I just try not to think about it. I try to uh, really get into the visceral and more spiritual side of music. And so it doesn't really lend itself to uh, being limited in genres. And uh, I think in terms of ancestry, the story of uh, my seventh generation grandparents was remarkable to me because it was an interracial forbidden union on a tobacco plantation in the 1750s. And I thought it's the most punk rock thing that I've ever heard and if they could accomplish something like that and survive, then we have no excuse really in the modern era. Um, we could, none of us could imagine, you know, that situation, being in that situation and surviving it. So as far as ancestry, I think it's, I had to really discover my ancestry and it's very uh, complicated, black, white, free, enslaved it was it was really much more than i than i thought it'd be and i thought wow it's extremely american very american to just be so mixed up and um powerful and interesting so uh, i i try not to um 
you know, dwell on negativity, but only take away the, the positive from that. As I say on some of my recordings, uh, take the bullshit, turn it into good shit. Something that I really believe in. Um, what I learned most from that story is, you know, not to be a victim or not to fit into someone's narrative or someone's repressed narrative of how they see the world. So often that's the case. And people want us to fit into that narrative for their comfort or exploitation or whatever it is. But I really learned, yes, like, you know, not being a victim, I think is um, outstanding. And that's what I take from um, my answer. love to hear a little bit about your your story with interscope because it it sounds like you know I've, I've heard some horror stories of people being marketed and you know they're telling you how they see you which kind of fits into that theme in terms of uh you know back in the early 90s you were signed right yeah well i think that just goes along with you know commodification um it goes along with capitalism, marketing them, you know, the music business is a business and quite often the people running it have no interest in music. Their interest is in the business side. And, and, and I, look, I understand that that's the profession that they, that they chose. Um, I think I was so young during the time of Interscope and I wasn't, I was an artist, really a taker, not a giver. And I think that I was a young 20-year-old that I was kind of obsessed with being famous rather than, you know, music myself. So I, again, not being a victim, I take a lot of uh, blame in that. I hate the word blame. I take some responsibility. I love to be accountable for the things that I've done. I don't always enjoy this narrative of like, oh, I, I was the victim of some big record company. I just don't believe in that because we're all complicit when we're taking money from these people. So I think it goes both ways. And I think that's how we have growth is that when we can um, see our accountability and then we can manifest uh, our vision of existence into something uh, more magnificent, something that is, that, that is more um, contributing, something that is productive, something that is helping to build something rather than tear it down so that I view it at the Interscope experience as a great experience. Uh, most of the failures and obstacles, those are the greatest 
opportunities for one to uh, enhance themselves and f- to learn something new and to acquire more tools to navigate this uh, remarkable, extraordinary terrain of being a human being. Oakland, California. in Massachusetts, you know, and, you know, that town I was born, the Berkshires was probably the whitest place in the world. And I went from there to the blackest place in the world, Oakland, California. You know, during that time, it was remarkable, you know, the juxtaposition of those two experiences. So I think that these are the things, the components that uh, help build you into the person, um, not not that you want to be, but maybe the person that you you need to be. So um, my experience of running away at 12, I don't recommend it to any 12-year-old. But I was able to uh, survive that ordeal and um, come out on the brighter side of things. And uh, we all need each other. That's, a, that's the theme of that. I mean, it's that we all need each other to... Um, survive in this world and I was very fortunate at that age to run into some of the right people and some of the wrong people and I took a lot of lessons with that and now hopefully you know through music through art through through live shows and my live show is like church without the religion and um it's all about bringing that healing aspect and that testimonial aspect through through sound hand claps, foot stomps, bass guitars, organs, keyboards. I mean, we're communicating. It's the most extraordinary uh, trip in the universe. Yeah, yeah. And really helps to transcend on like a mind-body-soul level. And uh, I think it changes our frequency and our way of thinking. Well, I mean, that's what music is. I mean, music doesn't do that, then I I don't understand, you know. That's why we have this great gift of music and communicate. It's supposed to really affect, you know, who and what we are. That's we have. That's why we have to be very careful of what we're saying in our music, because it really affects people and society.
and you say now you write for your kids. I I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because you did go through a period where you did weren't playing music and you were farming and kind of uh, you know nesting. Well, I mean, I'm still farming to this day, <clears throat> and I'm still I live on a farm and I I'm still upcycling and farming. This is uh just part of who I am. I think that yeah, we have to stop. I stopped doing music so much for myself and it really helped me evolve and take me to a, a greater place and a, a greater space to be um, someone that contributes. I mean, I, I learned to stop chasing things. And I think that's when they came to me, I did quit music for five years and do exclusive farming. And then after five years, I decided to just play at the train station and then subsequently won the tiny desk contests and then people in the world were able to know who I am. But um, yeah, I think just going to that train station every day and playing for a different reason, not because, oh, I want to, I want to be known. I want to be famous. I want to have followers. I want to have likes. I want to be important. But there was something more um, connective. There's something more connective going down. They're just playing as people got off the train. There's something amazing about that. Yeah. You're integrated into their lives you're woven together through the music right well i think so and i think it's more importantly it's people you're playing for people who don't they didn't come to hear music so i think <laughs> the real, real honest moments they're very honest moments those are very honest moments to people that they're not there for your music and i think i i really love those moments i just opened for bruce springsteen i think last week it's like 50,000 people that didn't come to see me. And I really appreciated that because those are very honest moments.
so much fantastic negrito for speaking with us today you're performing at the payment performing arts center august 11th and uh, i did want to mention one thing that i just really appreciate you know your resiliency and it's inspiring you had an accident and were in a coma for three weeks you had some sort of partial paralysis of your of your playing hand yes You've overcome so much. It's an inspiring thing. And your music just has all of that richness. Fearlessly taking one step at a time. Fearlessly. Thank you so much. Fantastic, Negrito. Bless it. Thank you for having me. Peace. I'll be good out there in, in America. On the road again Now I locked my doors The sun went down Said goodbye to Boston town Mass turnpike to Route 15 You take me on down to the New York scene Hum another ties It sure is pretty Think about the women in New York City On the road again Now I can't stop more than just a few minutes Baby make love to you Hey 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 on the road again You take the Holland Tunnel to the Jersey Pike You roll through Philly in the middle of the night I'm on the road again I went downtown D.C. Running all around town Trying to find a little lady Hit me when I'm down Nobody answers, ain't anybody home Gotta grab me a cab, get to Baltimore She got great long hair, big old smile Great long legs that drive me wild And hey, 
I'm on the road again Now I can't stop more than just a few minutes Baby, tell you about my love for you Hey, hey, hey I'm on the road again Now I hate to go I just can't stay Gotta make it to Atlanta by the break of day Hello out there. I'm very pleased, very pleased to have on Healing Wisdom musician Tom Rush, veteran folk musician. He'll be performing at the Payamet Performing Arts Center this Sunday, the 25th of June. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Can you talk about your connection to music getting in the zone and on that sort of mind-body level? I can tell you that I don't remember writing songs, usually. People say, where did that song come from? And I said, I don't know. All I know is now it's finished. But I, you know, I'll, I'll sit around, I'll play, strum the guitar and try to tune out. And I'll, then I'll find a few minutes later, or maybe an hour later, I'm actually playing something that's kind of interesting to me. And, and then it goes, goes along like that. And when I stop running, I start running out of ideas, I'll put it aside and come back the next day. And maybe there'll be some more ideas or maybe there won't. There's one of my best songs I think I wrote in one afternoon, and other songs have taken years. You know, working at them a little bit here and a little bit there, and so it's a it's a mysterious process. I think personally, I think the songs already exist. They're out there. You know how there's an oort cloud of comets way out beyond the planets, and once in a while they they come zooming in. I think there's a a cloud of songs out there that come zooming in occasionally. And my job is to try to catch them before they go in one window and out the other. Yeah. Before Arlo <laughs> Guthrie does. <laughs> there you go. So you began performing uh, in 1961, 1962, at least you began recording, right? I start the clock in 62 because that's when my first LP came out. You, you talk a lot about the circle game and people make references to it because in 1965, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, Jackson, Jackson Brown, Brown with another. Three J's, Joni, Jackson, and James. You were uh, recording their work before they were well-known or known at all. I think I was the first to record any of their songs, including the artists themselves. This type of music was very different from... Uh, Appalachian, Scottish-influenced, like hillbilly folk music that was happening at that time, right? And before. Yeah. Well, I think it was, it was, it's felt to me familiar, although it clearly was different. These were composed songs. These were not traditional songs. And I have, I'm going to inject here that uh, in the Cambridge scene, there were a lot of really brilliant musicians who specialized in Appalachian ballads or Delta blues or Woody Guthrie songs and did nothing else. And I was kind of the generalist in a, uh, in a world of specialists. I'd pick a song from here and a song from there. I was kind of running out of traditional material that I, that, you know, got me excited. And I was way over, I was two years overdue for delivering an album to Elektra and along come Joni Jackson and James with these brilliant, brilliant songs. And so I said, okay, I'm going to, this is what I'll do. And uh, so I put together an album of their material, a couple of, a couple of tunes that I wrote and uh, some other stuff, just uh, there, there's actually a structure to the album. It's the, it's the beginning of a love affair through the course of the love affair down to the end. And then it starts again at the very end. 
nobody realized this, nobody picked up on it, but this, that was the structure that I had in mind. It was very well received, and I think Rolling Stone accused me of ushering in the singer-songwriter era because it was where these three brilliant writers were introduced. Uh, they would have gotten where they were going without me. I wasn't trying to discover anybody or usher in anything. I just wanted to make an album and meet girls, of course. Part of what got, uh, got the folk music going in the 60s was that the pop music radio had become just so bland and so boring that we started looking around for something more interesting. And here were these scratchy recordings of people singing songs that felt real. You know, these are real people singing about real things that mattered. It was, it was ex much more exciting than, than the radio was. What do you have to say about the evolution of folk in terms of the purpose, you know, from sort of its inception? Well, okay, I've got to get academic here then for a second. Folk music to me is traditional music. These are songs that have existed for hundreds of years. They, they evolved mainly in illiterate populations. There was no writing. So you remembered what your grandma sang to you. And maybe you didn't remember it perfectly, so when you sang it, you couldn't remember the fourth verse exactly, so you'd substitute something of your own. And if that was more memorable, it's kind of musical Darwinism, then the next generation would, would use your verse and grandma's would be forgotten. And songs evolved this way, and every village had different, a different version of Barbary Allen. And none of them were the correct version. None of them had any more authority than any of the others. And that's, that, to me, is what folk music is. It doesn't just mean some guy playing an acoustic guitar. And Woody Guthrie wrote his own songs, and technically they're not folk songs, although he did borrow a lot of traditional melodies and wrote new words to them, so they're kind of hybrid. What are your thoughts on union songs? Because didn't a lot of them have folk sort of elements, or they were... You know, they were, borrowing they from were composed. They were composed songs, but yeah, they a lot of them had traditional melodies behind them, and that was a big thing. You know, that was a big thing for a while. Of course, two hundred years ago, there weren't union songs, but Seeger and Guthrie and that crowd definitely got got on board the union train and were promoting promoting the unions. Maybe somebody needs to do that again. The, the whole music scene has changed so profoundly since I started out. When I started out, if you did not have a record deal, you did not exist. Literally. I mean, the, the record company was the one who got you on the radio, and they got you written up in the papers. They maybe got you on TV, even. And uh, without them, you were invisible. And now, with the, with the internet, any kid with a guitar can make, you know, make music in her bedroom and put it up on the internet. So it's, it's a profoundly different, different scene. Well, I got, actually, I got excited about music during the late 50s when all the rock bands were, were huge. And it's, it's kind of strange to me looking back, but that whole rock and roll thing with Elvis and Fats Domino and the Everly Brothers and Chuck Berry and on and on and on, there were just, a, you know, Dozens of fabulously talented, exciting artists out there. That whole thing was came and went in about four years. But that's where I got excited about music. That's where I started trying to, oh, I wish I could play like 
Chuck Berry. Well, that wasn't going to happen. But uh, and then I discovered folk music and got wrapped up in that. That was veteran folk musician Tom Rush. He'll be performing at the Payamet this Sunday, June 25th. Tickets are available at payamet.org. I love Karina. Tell the world I do. I love my Karina. I'll tell the world I do. listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. 